Today's sermon text will come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, beloved, I am. I'm really encouraged by this text this morning, and the reason that I'm really encouraged by this text is because it confirms in me what um, I intuitively know, and that is that attitude makes all the difference. I learned that growing up and playing in, in sports all the time and having played in sports all throughout um, college, and then um, the Lord saved me, brought me into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and gave me a lovely wife in and, and marriage, and that was confirmed again. And then as he gave uh, me, gave us children, and again he confirmed that truth. The attitude uh, makes all the difference. And then as he called me into the ministry and put me into the pastoring and pastoring even this church, he confirmed again and again that attitude makes all the difference. In fact, I am confident that if you were to ask most people who you deem to be successful in this life and even in the life of faith, you will find them saying over and over again that the biggest difference that has, made, that has been made in their lives has been in accord with their attitude. Attitude towards life, attitude towards the things of God. You might argue that this is the biggest difference between success and failure. <coughs> Chuck Swindoll, many of you might know him as a pastor and um, well-known radio teacher, has said, I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react. The only thing we really control is our attitude. Sir Walter Scott said, for success, attitude is equally as important as ability. Attitude. Winston Churchill said that attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. The right attitude. Scott Hamilton said, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Edwin Lewis Cole said, attitude determines the altitude in life. Attitude. And the fact of the matter is this, uh, men and women with the right attitude often tower over others who are more gifted. But the fact that they have the right attitude, in case you haven't learned it already in your life, attitude makes a big, huge difference in the life that you experience and the quality of it, beloved. 
And because this is true in our natural lives, you and I should understand that, therefore, if it is so true in our natural lives, it is rooted in our spiritual lives. It is rooted and grounded in spiritual importance. And therefore, having the right attitude in spiritual things becomes even more magnified. The Christian life, success and growth and strength and spiritual truths is rooted in having the right attitude. So Chuck Swindoll, beloved, is so right. So right. It's not so much of what happens to you It's how you respond to it that really makes a difference. And the Bible gives us some encouraging examples along this way. The Bible has not, God has not left himself without a witness concerning this all-important understanding of attitude in the Christian life. For those who serve God most faithfully provide for us examples of those who had the best attitude. Remember Job. When he had lost everything, children, possessions, even his health, what was Job's attitude? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's attitude, beloved. The three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into Nebuchadnezzar's fire, Nebuchadnezzar said, all you got to do is renounce your God and Worship our God, and you'll be relieved from the fire. What did the Hebrew boy say? He said, listen, king, our God is able to deliver us from this fire, but even if he doesn't, he is still worthy of our praise. That's attitude, beloved. That's attitude. We could go on and on. What about Joseph? Unrighteously persecuted by his brothers. Lied upon and thrown into jail. Unrighteously accused. Suffering persecution for reasons unknown to him could easily have felt neglected and forgotten, could easily have been felt felt like he was wronged. And yet what does he say when it all comes to a head? Looks at his brothers and say, what you meant for evil, God has decreed for good 
attitude, beloved. That's attitude. And we could go on and on and on. What I want to suggest to you this morning, as Paul, the Apostle Paul, is wrapping up this letter, his first letter to the Thessalonians, I want to suggest to you that what he does in these three small verses is he wants to make sure that before he ends it, he gives them just a little attitude adjustment. Takes out his, his attitude screwdriver. Just want to turn that screw on your attitude just a bit so that you have success in your spiritual lives. You have the right attitude. He comes at him fast and furious, beloved, but he comes at him, oh, with so much encourage them. He encourages them. This is, this is what it means to have the right attitude, to develop the right habits. To develop the right habits of what we might call spiritual disciplines that would create in us an attitude that is representative of the Christ that has redeemed us. We ought to have the mind of Christ. You want to have the right attitude? Have the attitude of Jesus. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, right? Verse 5. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, have the same attitude in yourself that we see was the attitude of Christ. And when you think of it in those terms, when you begin to think that I am to have the same attitude that Jesus had, and I am to be of the same mind that Jesus had, then you understand that all of us from time to time need an attitude adjustment. So what are we going to get this morning? Well, attitude adjustment. Bible tells us kind of attitude we ought to have? I like to call it the trinity of faithful attitudes. Right? Be joyful. Be prayerful. And be grateful. Be joyful. Be prayerful. And be grateful. And notice what the Bible says here is that these attitudes of joy and prayer and thanksgiving, we ought to have all the time. This ought to be the default of the Christian life. We ought to be those who are known for joy. You ought to be the one who is known for being prayerful. You ought to be the one who is known for being thankful. You know, the absolute nature of these commands kind of gives some of us pause. They're troubling to many, dare I say, they're probably troubling the most. If you look at this and you say, it says, rejoice always. How am I supposed to rejoice always? 
It says pray without ceasing. How am I to be praying without ceasing? It says give thanks in every situation and circumstance. How am I supposed to be thankful for all things? The first thing you need to understand, beloved, is that when you think of it, you need to think of it from God's perspective first and not your own. And you do understand that when God gives commands, he gives commands always. Did you hear that? What God commands, he always commands. He doesn't give situational commands. He doesn't give occasional commands. So when God commands a man to love his wife, he doesn't command him to love him sometimes. He doesn't command that man to love his wife only when he feels like it. When he says, love your wife, he means that every moment of every day. That's how God commands. He doesn't command occasional commands. When he says, honor your parents, when are you to honor your parents? You have to honor your parents all the time. The kind of commands that the Lord gives. He doesn't give occasional ones. They're not relative. We live in a relative world. God doesn't. When God commands you to be holy, beloved, when does he command you to be holy? Only when circumstances fit to holiness? The command to be holy is for you to be holy all the time. And it's not contingent on whether or not you can do it or not. At any moment. When God says, love God with all your heart, and all your mind, and all your strength. When are you supposed to do that? Every moment of every day. So therefore, as you read these commands to pray and to rejoice and to be thankful, put it in the context of the commands of God. And understand that if God has told you to rejoice, he is not telling you to only rejoice when you're in circumstances that you deem worthy of joy. No. When God says rejoice, like everything else he says, he means it all the time. When he says pray, he means all the time. When he says be thankful, he means all the time. And there's reason for that, beloved. There is reason for that. Because he not only gives us the reason to rejoice all the time, and the reason to pray all the time, and the reason to be thankful all the time, but he also has given us the power to do it. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I can see I can see us not pursuing these things if God has not given us reason to do them and the power to do them. 
But if the Holy Spirit is alive and true in the lives of God's people, people, then the Holy Spirit is a power. And it is that power that causes us to rejoice. It is that power that causes us to pray. It is that power that causes us to call upon God and rely in dependence upon him. It is that power to give thanks in all situations. So he not only gives us reason, but he gives us the power to do so. And that's why Paul can say, here's the attitude the Christian should have. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Be joyful. As we have noted before, is not joy fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is abiding in our lives and if we are walking according to the Spirit, then what will be the fruit of that walk? Joy. 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 And what is joy, beloved? Joy is the pleasure of God expressed in a heart set free. The pleasure of God expressed in a heart set free. It is the pleasure of God. In fact, I would argue that it is inherent in the image of God. For our God is a happy God. Our God is a joy-filled God. And every human being, therefore, created in the image of God has this desire for joy and delight and happiness placed down in them. Joy is ours by nature. This is true. This is true. We were created to rejoice and our hearts naturally run after those things that bring us happiness. Our hearts naturally run after those things that bring us delight. Everything that we do, beloved, in one way or another, is in pursuit of happiness. Everything. The only problem now is that sin has perverted that. Sin has perverted that, and now we pursue those things that we think will bring us happiness. We pursue those things that we think will bring us joy. And therefore we do, as the prophet, prophet Isaiah says, what is good we call evil. We don't pursue the right good. We pursue the evil thinking that's going to bring us good. We call darkness light and light darkness. But we do all those things thinking that those things are going to bring us some joy, happiness fulfillment because the desire for joy and delight is bound up in our hearts beloved and therefore when God tells you to rejoice he is not saying anything foreign to us but what he is saying now 
is to take your natural inclinations towards joy and happiness and rather than have them directed by the flesh, now have them directed by the Spirit. Why? Because Spirit-directed desires Spirit-directed inclinations of joy always lead you to God. That's why the psalmist could say in Psalm 16 and verse 11, in his presence is the fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is God. His will that brings us joy. And there you will find your strength. As it says in Nehemiah, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, joy is yours by nature, but it's not only ours by nature, but it is ours too by a redemptive gift. So this joy that we are to have now, that we are to be expressing always, has been given to us through our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why he could say rejoice always, because God has given to us not only the ability to do it, natural inclinations, but now he has given you the reason the reason to rejoice. This was what the angels said to the shepherds. In the promise of the Savior's coming, he says, Behold, I bring to you good tidings of what? Great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. Everywhere that Jesus went, beloved, he brought joy to those who trusted in him. Everywhere he went, he brought joy to those who trusted in him. Every time he went to a funeral, it never stayed a funeral. Nobody who trusted in Jesus ever left his presence Sorry, down, or depressed. They always left him filled with joy. This is what our Savior does. And so when you become a Christian, beloved, contrary to what some people think, God is not saying no more joy. But on the contrary, now you have reason to be filled with joy all the time. When actually before you didn't have reason. You didn't have reason to be filled with joy all the time. Before you only had reason to be filled with joy when things were going the way you wanted them to go. But now because of Christ, 
than all that Christ has done. Now because of the Spirit and the promises that God makes to us in his word, then now we have reason to rejoice all the time regardless of the circumstances. Beloved, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that we don't have bad days. Because we do. It doesn't mean that we never experience sorrow or loss or pain. Because we do. But what it does mean is that our sorrow is always with hope. What it does mean is that our pain and loss in this world is always in the context of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means that our darkest days, even on our darkest days, the light is never completely out. The light is never completely out, beloved. When our kids were small, we used to have to put a night light in the hallway at bedtime. We had to put a night light in the bathroom at nighttime. Some of you probably still use night lights. That's okay. I understand. The dark can be a scary place. But you put that nightlight in the hallway so that if they have to get up in the night, they can make their way without stepping and stumbling on anything. You put that nightlight in the bathroom so that when they get in there, they can look and they don't need to be afraid of the dark because there is light there. Beloved, Jesus is the nightlight. He's the light in the night. And oftentimes, as the darkness of this world engulfs us, it is keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is our nightlight that keeps us from stumbling through the dark. It doesn't mean that you won't ever be awakened in the middle of the night and find yourself enveloped in darkness. But it does mean that if you would open your eyes, there's a nightlight in the hallway. There's a nightlight in the bathroom, and you can make it. You can make it, and you'll see that there's really nothing in the darkness to be afraid of. Because the light is still on. Jesus, beloved, is that nightlight. You can remember that he has gone before you. And in the midst of his pain and trial, he rejoices. For the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. As dark as the cross was, there was a joy that our Lord knew in the redeeming of his people. It is that joy 
that he gives to us, as the Bible reminds us, that weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. There is a reason you have to rejoice always, beloved. And that is because God doesn't change. See, if you set your joy based upon circumstances like you did before you were saved, then your joy will fluctuate. You will not have reason to rejoice always because your circumstances change. And that's why you think that you can't rejoice always because you are tying your joy to your circumstances. But when the Bible says rejoice always, the Bible is saying don't tie your joy to your circumstances. Tie your joy to God. Tie your joy to Jesus. For then you will know you can rejoice always because he says, I am the Lord your God and I change not. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and therefore you can rejoice always. When Jesus changes, stop rejoicing. When God changes, stop rejoicing. Until that happens, rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, and again I say, rejoice. That is not just a song to be sung. That is an attitude to be lived. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, and again I say, rejoice. Paul said, you need to adjust your attitude a little bit on your joy. Turns the screw a little bit more. He says, oh, and by the way, you know, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You see this second exhortation in this attitude, trinity, of it's prayer. Be prayerful. And again, remember what God commands, he always commands. Prayer and rejoicing, don't you see how they go together? You should. You see why the command to rejoice is coupled with the command to pray. We would rejoice more if we prayed more. We would rejoice more if we prayed more. Prayer, beloved, is communion with God. It's what it is. It is communion with God. And you understand that worship and praise is the natural outcome of intentional prayer. Anybody who spends time communicating with God seriously and intentionally will and cannot help but well up in praise. Cannot help but well up and be overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord. So it's, a, it's appropriate, isn't it? That the command to rejoice is coupled with the command to pray. 
You're going to rejoice always. You need to be praying always. You need to be praying always. And this is important to us because none of us pray as we should. I'm sure if I took a poll this morning and asked, does anybody in here pray as often as they should or as fervently as they should, dare I say there probably would not be a hand up in the building. We all would acknowledge this morning that we could pray more, that we could pray more fervently. And so I want to dismiss out of your mind altogether this morning at looking at this command to say this command that says pray without ceasing and to begin to debate within your mind. But can I pray all the time? I would simply say, have you even tried? Have you even tried? Rather than Wondering if you could pray all the time, ask yourself just how much, how diligent have you been in prayer? Being prayerful, beloved, when you think about it, is not really a sometime relative, occasional discussion with God. It really isn't. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, pray all the time in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Pray all the time in the spirit. Why? Because if you are walking in the spirit, you know what the spirit is calling you to do. Have a conversation with God. Tell it to Jesus. I'm not sure all the Theological truths within the song, but I do understand the sentiment when it says, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Well, hopefully you feel the Spirit every day, all day long. <laughs> Prayer, beloved, is a way of life. Prayer is an attitude. It is an attitude of dependence. It is a daily conversation, a moment-by-moment conversation with God. For the life in the Spirit is a life of prayer. And this is why Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, be constant in it. Persevere in it. Be constant at it. How do you do that? You do that by being willing to pray about everything. Just be willing to pray about everything. I mean, there is nothing too big, as some of us believe, and there is nothing too small, as others of us believe. You are not less significant than God than others. You are not more significant to God than others. Your issues do not catch God off guard. And therefore, stump him. He cares. He cares about everything. And therefore, you can pray. You can pray about everything. And you don't have to think that anything that you bring to him is too big or too little for him to handle. 
cares about everything. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Pray. Pray about everything. And why don't we, beloved? I would suggest to you this morning the reason we don't pray about everything is because we don't believe God can do anything. The reason we don't pray about everything is because we don't believe that it is possible for God to do anything. And so we lapse in our prayers because we sometimes believe that what we are concerned with is beyond prayer. That just isn't true, beloved. That just isn't true. We don't pray because we don't believe. And we have lost our wonder and our amazement and our awe at how big and glorious and powerful and loving and intimate God is. We've lost our ability to wonder and be amazed and stand in awe. We've lost our perspective on the greatness of God. Again, when my children were little, whenever they wanted something and daddy would say, well, you know, daddy don't have any money for that, they would say, well, why don't you just go to the bank? made sense to them. The bank has the money. You go to the bank on occasion and when you come out, you have money. So if you don't have any money today, Daddy, why don't you just go to the bank? Seems simple enough to them. But I think this is why the Bible tells us that we should have a childlike faith. If you want it, why don't you just pray about it? If you need it, if it's that difficult, if it's troubling you, why don't you just go to God? He's got it. He's able. He's willing. Why don't you just go to God? The reason you don't go to God is because, like my children, you have grown up and you have lost your wonder. They don't tell daddy to just go to the bank anymore. And you and I don't just tell each other to go to God with it. Because we've lost our wonder. We've lost our perspective. We've grown up. And we no longer have a childlike But I'm here to tell you this morning that you can just go to the bank. You can, again, just go to God. He is able and he is willing in any circumstance to hear and to answer your prayer. When I was a little child growing up in church, I used to 
hate the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I hated this song, not because I was any theological giant and understood anything about it. I hated it because I didn't like the way our church sung it. And the old people in there sound so um, sad when they sung it. And the music was so slow and it dragged. And it, oh, I hate it when they played that on Sunday morning. when I grew up and I listened again and I heard the words oh what peace we forget oh what needless pains we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer and I love that song now. Yes, indeed. We have in Jesus a friend. You ought to pray about everything, and you ought to pray at all times, beloved. I mean, just be praying all the time. You know, prayer is not something that you simply do in intentional times that you go away into your closet and uh, pray, and you only bring it out when no one else is around. Beloved, we ought to be praying at all times, praying at all times, because there is never a time when you can't or you shouldn't be talking to God. Never a time when you can't or shouldn't be talking to God. And this is important, beloved, because the reason we need to be having ongoing conversations with God is because the world is trying to have an ongoing conversation with you. At every moment of every day, that conversation is being had. And it's talking to you, and you're talking back. Oh, you may not realize it, you may not be actively conscious of it, but if you stood back and listened to your thoughts, you are having a conversation with the world. Wow, doesn't she look good? Yeah, she does look good. Wonder if she mentioned and talking to me today. Yeah, she might. That conversation is going on all the time. Why don't you go over here and do this? Yeah, that might be a good idea. I wonder who else is going to be there. Yeah, that conversation is going on all the time. Hey, let's take a moment and look at this. Yeah, you got time to sit down and watch that. Of course. Yeah, so-and-so said, have you missed this? Yeah, did you see that movie? Yeah, I need to go see that. That conversation is happening all the time. Time you drive down the street. Every billboard you see is talking to you, and you're talking back. Every time you watch a commercial on television, the commercial is having a conversation with you, and you know what you're doing. You're talking back. In fact, they pay a lot of money to talk to you because they know you'll talk back. This is why. Beloved, you and I 
need to be having a conversation with God at all times. Every time the world says, hey, what about this? You ought to turn and say, hey, God, what about that? Every time the world pops up and says, hey, Tony, what do you want to do, do about this? You ought to turn and say, God, what do you think? Should I be doing that? having a conversation with God every moment of every day, talking to him, seeking his wisdom, seeking his advice. We're so quick, aren't we, to talk to others. We get on the phone, can't wait to tell somebody some good, some, some, some salacious news, talk to them about some hot topic. The latest gossip. How about before you talk to anybody else, you have that conversation with God? How about before you burden somebody else with your problems, you burden God with them? How about before you dump on somebody else, you dump it on God? When I was a little boy growing up in the church, I used to sing in the youth choir. Why do you think that's funny, Brother Bino? <laughs> I had skills then. I still have them. <laughs> I'm just a little too humble to express them. <laughs> I used to be in the youth choir. I used to lead a song. I'll never forget it. See, you think that's funny. I used to lead a song, and I'll never forget it. My song that I led, when they said, Tony, we're going to sing your song, was have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your trouble. He will hear your faintest cry, and he will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer with burning, and no little fire, when you feel a little prayer returning, and no little fire burning. You have a little talk with Jesus, makes it right. And I used to say, now let us. <laughs> <laughs> and the choir would say, have a little talk with Jesus. And I would say, tell him all about your trouble. <laughs> they say, hear your faintest cry. And I said, he will answer by and by. <laughs> Beloved, might I tell you this morning? Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your trouble. He will hear your faintest cry, and he will answer by and by. Before you have a talk with anybody else, you have a little talk with Jesus. And you know what I find? After you have a little talk with Jesus, you probably don't need to burn nobody else. If you would have a little talk with him, that's what it means to pray without ceasing having that conversation with God. Prayer becomes the background music of our lives. That's what it is. Just let it be playing in the background all the time. You know, you're at home. You got music on. Some of you can't even get in the car without turning the radio. You got to have some playing. That's fine. That's fine. You're at home. You always got to have something in the background. That's fine. Let prayer be the background music of your life. And so that is always playing. 
And then, you know, when you listen to that background music and all of a sudden your favorite song come on and all of a sudden you start singing right along with it. Now, you, that music been playing all the time, but something just jolted you and you started singing along with the background music. And now it's no longer in the background, it's in the foreground. That's what prayer should be like. That'd be playing in the background. Then all of a sudden something pops up and it shakes you and it is not hard for you to be searching around for a prayer closet. You just automatically start praying with the background music. Because that's what's been going on in the background all the time. And you just naturally flowed right into it. And then it came time. And it came time for you to sing your favorite song. That's what prayer should be for us when we're praying without ceasing. And lastly, beloved, we have to give thanks at all times. I, you know, I'm not sure there's anything more important than having an attitude of gratitude. I mean, thankful people are what Christians are. And therefore, thankful people are those people who give praise to God. And people who are giving praise to God are prayerful people. And prayerful people are thankful people. And now you see how this trinity of attitude works together. Those who pray Praise those who praise, give thanks. Those who give thanks, they pray. And this is the attitude of the Christian life. Thankful people pray more and grumble less. Thankful people praise more and complain less. The one thing that we loathe in our children is ingratitude. I mean, if any of us have children, we understand that. There is one thing that we loathe to see in them. It is ingratitude. How much more with God? You think you're a good parent and your children should be grateful for you? How much more? God's children to him. Thankfulness, thankfulness, for no one is more worthy of thanksgiving than God. And we told this over and over again. You just read the Psalms. Psalms 107, Psalm 118, Psalm 106, Psalm 136. Again and again, we are told that we are to give thanks to God. In fact, the Bible couples thanksgiving with praise in Psalm 100. And in verse 4, you are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. So you see how these character traits and these attitudes form the Christian life and develop our character and our attitude. For the prayerful saint, beloved, is the joyful saint. And the joyful saint is the thankful saint. And the thankful saint is the prayerful saint. Therefore, you all do this all the time. Be giving thanks for everything, everything, everything. Give thanks for everything. Now, I know you, again, you look at that and say, how can we give thanks for everything? That just sounds flippant. 
and it sounds unreasonable, skin until you put it in the context of God. You put it in the context of who God is and what God has done, then you can give thanks to him for every situation because there is always something to thank God for. Always something to thank God for. If things are going bad, you can thank him because God is working all things out for your good and for his glory. Give him thanks. If it is a sad time, then you can thank him because he is working our momentary affliction into his greater uh, weight of glory. Give thanks. If it is a difficult time and you are suffering persecution and you are being ostracized, then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, rejoice for great is your reward in heaven. In other words, God says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. A future of hope and not despair. Give thanks. Give thanks at all times. Why? Because God is not indebted to anyone we are debtors to his mercy. Every moment of our lives, and all of us, if you would just take a moment to realize, are unworthy of his grace and undeserving of his goodness. We are unworthy servants. Being unworthy of his grace and being unworthy of his goodness and his mercy. If we would just stop Assuming for a moment that we deserve goodness in this life. If we would stop just for a moment assuming that we deserve any moment of joy in this world. If we would stop assuming upon the goodness and the mercy of God, we would stop and give thanks. And this is particularly true, beloved, if you are a Christian this morning. If you are a Christian this morning, this admonition and encouragement to give thanks at all times in every circumstance really should hit you hard. Because if nothing else is going right in your life according to how you think right is, the one thing you can always say is, I'm saved. I'm saved. Now the reason that you don't rejoice in that is because we think lightly of that. Yeah, 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 I'm saved. But my car broke down. I need a new car. Excuse me? Do you understand that whether or not you have transportation, you are not going to hell? Do you understand that? 
Do you understand that the penalties for your sin will not be heaped upon you? Do you understand that? Do you understand that God has plucked you from the fires of eternal punishment and has placed you on the road to eternal life and has promised to have you with him in heaven for eternity? Do you understand that? And if that is the case, I'm giving thanks. I'm giving thanks. Yeah, my wife isn't acting right, but I'm saved. Yeah, my husband is being a knucklehead, but I'm saved. Yes, my children have gone astray and they have gone wayward and they are out there in the world, but guess what? I'm saved. I'm saved. And I can give thanks because I'm saved. You don't give thanks for anything else, beloved. You ought to give thanks that Jesus is yours and you are his and you can sing hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For you do understand, beloved, that God hasn't promised you anything He has not promised you anything. But is that you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you shall have eternal life. And the fact that he's going to keep that promise should make you thankful. Should make you thankful. When you realize that you've got reason to give thanks to God at all times, when you realize that you have reason to pray, about everything, when you realize that you have reason to rejoice and you can come and you look up and you see that reason is Christ who is the center of your joy, who is the soul of your prayers, who is the source of your thanksgiving. How dare we not have the right attitude? Need attitude adjustment this morning. Give thanks. Be prayerful. Rejoice in the Lord. And let his joy be your strength. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.